Um, one of the most uh, famous and fascinating accounts uh, that's in scripture, uh, I believe that most people would agree, um, is the account of Jonah and the whale, or as the text says, the great fish. Um, and so when we, when we think about Jonah and the whale, as most people uh, know this account, um, this account is, uh, it's, not, it's not simply something for vacation Bible school. It's not something that we tell at Christian camp. Um, the, the account of Jonah and the whale was a real account. Um, it was a real thing, a real event in history. Um, as a matter of fact, um, before we read the book of Jonah, we're introduced to Jonah in 2 Kings 14, 25. Jonah, um, who's the son of Amittai, um, who, who prophesied during the time of, of Joash um, in 2 Kings 14, 25. Joash, the king of, um, of, of Israel. Uh, and so uh, the son of Jeroboam. And so what we have, we, we, we have a real prophet, a real man. And by the time we get to the book of Jonah, we have a real uh, set of events uh, that we're going to see that's going to unfold for us. But I believe the greatest um, testament to the book of Jonah um, are the words of Jesus. Uh, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, where Jesus um, corroborates and he validates the historicity of the book of Jonah. And the reason why that's important, uh, because many people, especially those who are skeptics of the Bible, those who are cynics and those who are critics, uh, like to uh, romanticize and allegorize uh, the Bible as just uh, fictional literature. Nothing that's grounded in truth is not the word of God. So they just call it great poetry and great uh, prose and, and um, uh, they just call it literature. Uh, but the Bible is real. Jonah is real. The situation that happened in this book is real. And even Jesus said that because when the religious rulers came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, I seek in a sign. Jesus says that there shall be no sign given to you except to be the sign of the prophet Jonah's. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. For the men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment against this generation. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah's. And so here's Jesus putting his stamp of approval in Matthew chapter 12 on the accuracy and the historicity of the book of Jonah. And let's keep in mind now, Jesus is... The truth, John 14, 6. He is the way, the truth, and the life, so he can't lie. We, we must also keep in mind that Jesus is deity. Deity cannot lie. Numbers 23, 19. Uh, um, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. So Jesus is not lying about the book of Jonah um, and the events that are found therein. And so we need to take the book of Jonah at face value that this is a historical account of a man who was swallowed up by a whale and he was preserved because God so decreed it. So tonight, with that being said, as we think about this book and we think about some of the events that are in the book, the major principle, the overriding lesson in the book of Jonah is that we're gonna see that God is a God of second chances and that's our text, Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I did thee. So Jonah arose. Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. 
Now, Nineveh was an uh, exceeding great city of three days' journey, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, when he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse number five says, So the people believed God. I want you to think about that. The Bible says that Jonah preached, but the people believed God. Ultimately, all sound and successful preaching exposes and reveals God. So the people believed God and they proclaimed the fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Verse 6 says, For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, and he called it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way, and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. A God of second chances. I believe that as we study this book and we study of the people who are found therein, we realize that God is a God of second chances. Even tonight, we need to be reminded that we serve a God who is a God of second chances. We are made in the image of a God who is a God of second chances. When you study the book, God gives second chances to everybody that's in the book. He gives a second chance to the mariners. He gives a second chance to Jonah. And he also gives a second chance to the Ninevites. First of all, the mariners. In chapter 1, God gives a second chance for the mariners to know the true and living God. Notice now, Jonah 1.1, 1, 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fair deal and went down into it to go with them and to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Verse number five says, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God, lowercase g, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was going down to the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. Now get this picture now. Here's Jonah disobeying God, fleeing or attempting to flee from the presence of the Lord. And in so doing, Jonah uh, finds he goes to the town of Joppa uh, to catch a ship going to Tarshish. And we'll talk about that in the next point. But as a result of his disobedience, God sends out a strong tempestuous wind out into the sea that disturbs the progress of this ship. And on this ship with Jonah are some mariners, men who are, are controlling and navigating the boat. And so uh, as they experience and as they encounter this tempestuous wind that's, that's hindering their progress, the Bible says in verse number 5, Jonah 1, 5, that every man cried unto his God. You see, these mariners, they were idolaters. Better yet, these mariners, they were polytheists. 
polytheism is the belief, it is the doctrine uh, or the belief in a multiplicity of gods. Polytheism is set in contrast to the biblical idea of monotheism, where there's a belief in one God, one singular God. You remember in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4, as Moses uh, gave Israel uh, uh, that, that, that second discourse in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where the Bible says, Hear, is the Lord our God is one Lord. You see, God, the Godhead, the divine nature, it's only one God. But here, every one of the mariners cried unto his particular God. These mariners were idolaters. Every one of them had their own God. This reminds me of the situation that Paul experienced in Acts chapter 17 when he entered into Athens, Greece. The Bible says in Acts 17 and verse number 16, now while Paul waited for them, Silas and Timotheus um, in Berea, while they were in Berea, Paul was waiting for them in Athens. Acts 17, 16, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. When Paul goes to Athens, Greece, Paul goes to the Mecca of philosophy and wisdom and intelligence, the place where man's intelligence and man's wisdom is at its very zenith. And Paul goes there and Paul encounters idolatry at its very worst. Acts 17 and verse number 22, the Bible says, then the men of Areopagus brought Paul unto Mars Hill. Acts 17, 22, then Paul stood in the midst of the men of Mars Hill and said, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. You are too religious. You all are so devout and, 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 and so uh, wanted to be religious that you are actually idolaters. And, and so these men in Athens, Greece, they were, uh, they just filled. The city of Athens, Greece was littered with idol gods and statues. Matter of fact, Wayne Jackson in his commentary uh, on the book of Acts says that um, there was a count and there was some over 10,000 statues littered throughout the city of Athens, Greece. And so that's why Paul said, you are too superstitious. You are too religious. You got all of these gods and all of these statues and all of these idol gods. And Paul says, just in case you didn't miss one, they had one in Acts 17, 24. There was an altar that had this inscription to the unknown God. They wanted to make sure that they included everybody's God. And so Athens, Greece was a city filled with idolatry, polytheism. And so that's what we have here in Jonah chapter one. These men, these mariners, they don't believe and they don't worship and they don't serve the Lord, the true and living God, the God who made the sea and the dry land and the water. They believe in idol gods. The problem with that is, here they are, they are in the midst of a crisis. They are in the midst of about to lose their lives because they're out here uh, doing a very tempestuous storm. And so they don't have anybody to call upon. They don't have anybody to turn to. You see, idol gods can't save. The Bible says in Isaiah 43 and verse number 11, God told Isaiah to tell the people, ah, even I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. God says there is no one beside me who can save man and deliver man. And so if that's true and that's the case, then none of their gods are going to save them at this point. 
The psalmist shows us the futility of idol gods in Psalm 115. In Psalm 115, the Bible says in verse number one, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, O Lord, um, belong, uh, 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 give glory unto thy name. Why? We ought to give glory unto the name of God for his mercy and for his truth's sake. Wherefore should we let the heathen say, where is, where is now their God? Verse number three of Psalm 115 says, but our God is in the heavens and he had done whatsoever he had, whatsoever he had pleased. Their idol gods are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. The Bible says they have miles, but they can't speak. Eyes they have, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. He says they have noses, but they can't smell. He says uh, feet they have, but they can't walk. They have hands, but they can't handle. And so the Bible says that the, 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 the pagans, they believe in these idol gods uh, akin to mannequins or, or dogs. And so they, they, they look like people. They got mouths and eyes and ears and hands and feet, but they can't do anything. And so you imagine here these mariners in a, in a crisis. And they're calling upon their gods. What are they going to do? Nothing. Why? Because they can't do anything. Why? Because their gods are silver and gold. They're the work of men's hands. They can't deliver. They can't save. So what does God do? What does the God of heaven do? Because God is a God of second chances. God gives these mariners another opportunity for them to come to know him. You realize in Jonah chapter 1, when Jonah tells them uh, that he is in Hebrew, Jonah 1 and verse number 9, and he said unto them, I am in Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea rolled and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. They still tried. They never let the men roll hard to bring it to the land. But they could not, for the sea rolled and was tempestuous against them. But notice now verse 14. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord. Jonah 1 and verse number 5 says, initially they cried unto their God. But their gods could not deliver. Their gods could not save. Their gods could not rescue. So what they had to do, they had to become acquainted with the God of heaven and this God of heaven who created the sea and the dry land gives them a second chance for them to know and to understand that he is the one true and living God. They cried unto the Lord and said, we beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee. Let us not perish for this man's sake, for this man's life, and lay not upon innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. Verse 14 said, they cried unto the Lord. Verse 16 says, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And then the latter part of verse 16 says, they offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Think about this progression. Jonah 1 and verse number 5, they're crying and praying. Every man to his own particular God. 
but their gods can't deliver. God is a God of second chances. Because of what God does to Jonah, these men have a second chance, a second opportunity to come to know the Lord, the true and living God. And so verse 14, they cry to him. They fear him. They obey him and they make vows unto him because God is a God of second chances. God wants everyone to come to know him, even those who don't believe in God. The psalmist says in Psalm 14, 1, and also verbatim in Psalm 53 and verse number 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool knows or the fool sees the evidence, but he refuses to accept the evidence. So he continually says in his mind, there is no God. Even those individuals, God wants them to know him. And so what we have here in Jonah chapter 1 is that these mariners who are idolaters, they had a second chance to come to know the true and living God. And you know what they did? They took that opportunity to learn about him, to cry unto him, to fear him, and also to offer sacrifice and make vows unto him. These men turned from idol gods to the true and living God, the Lord. It kind of resembles what Paul talks about in the book of Thessalonians. How did those Thessalonian Gentiles, how they turned from idols to serve the true and living God and his son, Jesus Christ, who saves us from the wrath to come. First Thessalonians 1.10. And so God gave some men who are idolatrous, polytheistic in their belief, an opportunity to know him. Even today, when we think about religion, and we think about the world, um, and we think about uh, all the various doctrines and teachings and ideologies that are prevalent in society today. We sometimes think everybody believes in God, believes in the Bible, believes in Jesus Christ. But even today, idolatry still exists. Polytheistic religion still exists. And so these men and women who believe in a multiplicity of God, believe in a, in a, in a pantheon of God, they need to come to know the true and living God as did these mariners. Why? because we still serve a God who is a God of second chances. In the second place, God gave Jonah. God gave Jonah a second chance. When you go back and read Jonah chapter one, I want you to understand this. Jonah has no intentions on going to Nineveh. Jonah chapter one, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship to go to Tarshish. When you look on the map, Jonah was in Israel. He finds a place called Joppa where he catches a boat there, but he really wants to get to Tarshish. His end goal is Tarshish. Tarshish is in Spain some 2,500 miles west. So in Jonah's mind, Jonah has no intentions on going to Nineveh to preach. Jonah believes that if he does not go, then the Ninevites cannot hear the message, therefore they can't be saved. But see, we serve a God who's a God of second chances. The Bible says Jonah rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord. You know what Jonah found out? 
that old men will find out. Jonah found out you can run, but you can't hide. The Bible says Jonah rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord, but you can't flee from the presence of the Lord. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, beginning at verse number seven, whither shall I, whither shall I go from the spirit of the Lord? Whither shall I flee from the presence of the Lord? The psalmist says in Psalm 139, verse number eight, he says, if I sit up into the heavens, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. He says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, thou art there. Wherever man goes, God is there. The Proverbs writer says in Proverbs 5 and verse number 21, he says, for the ways of man are before the Lord. For the Lord pondereth his goings, Proverbs 5, 21. Wherever man may go, whatever man may think, God knows and God can go and be with him. The Bible also says in Proverbs 15 and verse number three, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. And so Jonah thought he could flee from the presence of the Lord and hide, but he could not. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews four and verse number 12, for the word of God is quick, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's word discerns between the thoughts and the intents. Jonah had no intentions on going to Nineveh. But Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature, neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We need to keep in mind, we may attempt to run, we may attempt to flee, but we'll never be able to hide from the presence of the Lord. So you know what God does? Because God is a God of second chances. God sends a fish. He prepares a fish. Jonah uh, uh, 117. He prepares a fish to swallow up Jonah. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah got a second chance. I want you to think about this. The Bible says Jonah was in the belly of the whale or the fish for three days and three nights. Usually, great aquatic sea creatures, they eat whatever comes into their mouth, whether it be a great white shark, whether it be a whale. And so instead of Jonah being eaten, Jonah was preserved in the mouth, in the belly of the great fish. Jonah 2.1 says, then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Here's Jonah. Jonah is in the belly of the fish, and here he is for three days and three nights, and he is still alive. Jonah came to realize that God is a God of second chances. When you keep reading Jonah chapter 2 here, Jonah 2 and verse number 2, and Jonah says, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell, a sheol cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the sea, and the floods compassed me about all thy billows, and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I'm cast out of thy sight. Then I look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about around by my head. 
I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The earth was above, was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Jonah says, God, you spared my life. You preserved me. You saved me. Why did God do that? Because God is a God of second chances. When you think about that, you think about many times the situation that we get ourselves into through bad decisions, through uh, wrong associations, uh, through reacting as, uh, 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 certain ways, uh, whatever the case may be. When we uh, defy and disobey God, many times we get ourselves in trouble, and yet and still God preserves and spares our lives. Why? Because God is a God of second chances. And so when you think about that, here's Jonah in the belly of a whale, three days and three nights, without any harm being done to him. And so God is a God of second chances. So God gave a second chance to the mariners. He gave a second chance to Jonah. But he also, here in Jonah chapter 3, God gave a second chance to the Ninevites. The Ninevites, historically speaking, were a very barbaric and cruel and fierce and savage and wicked and evil people. Um, uh, the Assyrians, uh, because Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, the, the Assyrians, they were known throughout history for their, for their wickedness and their brutality and, and especially their torture. Uh, they say the Assyrians, when they would uh, go to war, they would bring back hostages. They would bring back a spoil from war. Uh, instead of killing them uh, uh, instantaneously, uh, on, on many occasions, they said the, the Assyrians, they would uh, flay the skin of their, of their victims and their hostages. They would rip open uh, pregnant women with children, and they would take out uh, the, the, the babies out of the, the, uh, the mother's womb. And so they were very uh, savage people. You know, so, so interesting how words uh, change meaning over time. You, you hear songs on the radio and people use the word savage and, and people use the word savage now when it comes down to modeling. It's just a catchphrase now. But, but historically speaking, the, the, the Ninevites, they were very savage and cruel people, fierce and barbaric. And so here in Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 2, God wants Jonah to go and preach to those people. Those savage, brutal, fierce, wicked, evil people. God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Even with all of their brutality and their fierceness and their evil and wickedness, God wants to save them. He wants to give the Ninevites another chance. God does not want them to die. He does not want them to perish in his condition, in their wickedness. As a matter of fact, even the king of Nineveh recognized the wickedness of his own residence. In Jonah chapter 3, verse number 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed the fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And the king caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and the nobles. The king published a decree saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But notice verse number eight. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mildly unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way 
and from the violence that is in their hands. This is the word from the king of Nineveh. The king of Nineveh says everyone in Nineveh is to put on sackcloth and ashes. Don't eat anything. Don't allow your beast to eat anything. Don't drink anything. Don't move. Don't do anything. But cry mightily unto the Lord, the same Lord that the mariners had to cry to. And he says that everyone turn from their evil way and from the wickedness that is in their hand. This is what the king is saying about his own residence. You think about that. And you think about the fact that this king recognized his own residence, the evil ways and the wickedness. What is interesting, this king does not make an appeal for more legislation. He does not make an appeal to have more laws and more, more activities and more community service or to change the behavior of his residents. No, what he says is that his residents who are wicked, who are evil, who are violent, they need to turn to God. Or how we would wish if we had more politicians and more leaders who would recognize the violence in our own cities and communities and not making them more laws and change laws and appeal for laws and more legislation, but turn men and women back to God. That's the only thing that's going to save humanity. Laws are great. Laws are fine and they're for our own good and for our own benefit. But ultimately, the greatest law is the law of the Lord. The word of the Lord. We need to turn back to God. We need to repent. And so that's what the king of Nineveh tells his residents. Humanity needs to repent. Man needs to repent. Jesus was saying, Luke chapter 13, on two occasions, Luke 13, 3 and 5, I tell you nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You see, the king of Nineveh, he recognized something. He recognized the goodness of God. The Bible says in Romans 2 and verse number 4, Or despise thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Paul says that it's the goodness of God that leads men and women to repent. He was saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, that that repentance is precipitated by godly sorrow. Not the sorrow of the world, but godly sorrow. But it is through godly sorrow and also the fact that God is good to a man that causes men and women to repent. Paul says it's the goodness of God. And it's amazing that people say all of the time, God is good. All of the time and all of the time, God is good. But seeing that God is so good, and he's good all of the time because that's his character. That's his nature. Why don't men repent? Men need to repent. Men need to obey God. They need to draw close unto God through repentance. That's what the Ninevites did. The king said that every man turned to God. That every man turned from the violence that is in his hands. Turn away from that. Turn unto God. Why? Because the God that we're turning to, this God, is a God of second chances. So God gave a second chance to the Mariners. He gave a second chance to Jonah. He also gave a second chance to the Ninevites, a very cruel and barbaric people. You know, when we think about this, the reason why God is a God of second chances is because God is a God of long suffering. 
When we talk about God being a God of second chance, what we're really saying is this. God is not only a God of second chance. God is a God of multiple chances. We're just saying it for the sake of the, the sermon title, but God is a God of multiple chances. Why? Because God is a God who is alone suffering. And that's why God can extend so many chances and so many opportunities. Many other passages that we read in the New Testament, they speak to the long suffering of God. For example, Acts chapter 17. Acts 17 and verse number 30, the Bible says, Acts 17, 30, Paul says, at that time, God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he had appointed a day into which he would judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he had the day where he had given assurance unto all men that he had raised them from the dead. God wants all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he is going to judge the world. At the time of that, at the time of this ignorance, this idolatry, Acts chapter 17, Paul says, at the time of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commanded all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he's a God who's long suffering. He's a God who's a God of second chances, a third chance, and a fourth chance, and so many chances. You know, when you think about that, you know, all of us can think about our own lives. And all of the times we've, we've, we've sinned, we've fallen short of God's glory. We ask God and we pray to God for another opportunity, another chance. And God extend those chances because he's a God of long suffering. Also, Romans chapter 3. Romans 3 and verse number 23, Paul says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse number 24 says, Being justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the sins that are past. Paul says that God is righteous to show forbearance for the sins that are past. He's talking about the sins in the Old Testament. And so what God did was God was so long suffering and so patient and so kind. God was willing to wait and to forbear what he would do unto the world until a savior came. Why? Because God is a God of long suffering. Even in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish. Not the mariners, not Jonah, not the Ninevites, not anybody who was made in God's image, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is a God of second chances because he is a long-suffering God. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was cognizant of the fact that God was a God of long-suffering. Paul was saying in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 12, Paul says, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who have enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And Paul says, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Why? Paul says that it was the grace, the mercy, the long suffering of God that saved him, who was the chief of sinners. Paul was cognizant of the fact 
that God was long suffering in his own life. God gave him a second chance. What I think about that, um, as I grew up in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, one of the things that um, that we were always made aware of was um, not to get involved in crime and not to go to jail and not to go uh, go to prison. Um, and we, our parents uh, did everything within their power to keep us uh, away from that type of lifestyle, that type of activity. And I remember growing up uh, because crime was so bad and drugs and the cocaine and and just the, the crime scene, the gang scene was so bad in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, everywhere uh, throughout America, um, that uh, there was a, a three-strike policy for repeat offenders, uh, for those who would just uh, keep committing violent crimes and keep uh, going to jail for drug, uh, drug charges. And so the government came up with a three-strike law. But I want you to think about that. That's three, that three-strike law. So many people. After the third strike, that was it. There are many men and women in jail right now because they violated those three strikes. Can you imagine if we only had three strikes with God, where we would be? But when we think about it, we serve God, who is a God of second chances, third chances, so many multiple chances. Why? Because he is a God who's long suffering. And so humanity today, what needs to happen today? Humanity needs to take advantage of the fact that we serve a God who's a God of second chances. You know, when we think about the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message about second chances. When you go through the Bible and you read about the gospel being preached and people obeying the gospel and people being saved, people being baptized into Christ, added to the Lord's church, the body of Christ, the church of Christ. You're reading about second chances. You think about it. On the day of Pentecost, those Jews who were gathered there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, those Jews were afforded a second chance. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 36, Peter says, therefore let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter reminds those Jews there on the day of Pentecost that they were the ones who were responsible for crucifying the Son of God. But God had made the same Jesus, not a different Jesus, but the same Jesus that they crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, the Bible says they were pricked in their heart and saying unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What are we going to do now, now that we have been informed that we were the ones who are responsible for delivering up the Son of God to the Romans and crucifying him, although he was innocent, although he was perfect? Peter tells them, Acts 2.38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Acts 2.38 corresponds to Acts 2.21 when he says, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, how do we call upon the name of the Lord? Acts 2.38, by repenting and being baptized, every one of us in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, but the promise is unto you and to your children. As many, uh, even those who are fall, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And the Bible says, 
Peter said this, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted, saying to them, save yourselves from this untoward generation, this crooked generation. The word untoward there comes from a Greek term, scolios, from which we get scoliosis, which is a curvature of the spine. You know, when you go to school, you send your children to school, uh, and sometimes they have those days set aside where they can check the children for scoliosis. That's a curvature of the spine. The spine is supposed to be straight. But Peter says that this untoward, this crooked generation. Paul was saying in Philippians chapter 2 that the world is crooked and perverse. So Peter says, save yourselves from this crooked, this untoward generation. Acts 2, 41. Then they that glad to receive this word were baptized. And that day they were added unto them about 3,000. 3,000 souls that were added to the apostles, to the church on the day of Pentecost. What happened on the day of Pentecost? These Jews who were informed that they had crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, they were given a second chance through the gospel. You keep reading through the Bible. You read about a man in Acts chapter 10. The Bible says about Cornelius. There was a certain man in Caesarea, a man by the name of Cornelius, of the band called the Italian band. The Bible says a devout man, one that feared God with all of his, his house, one that gave much alms to the people always, and he prayed to God always. Cornelius was a good man. He was a Gentile. As a matter of fact, when you read Acts 10 and verse number 22, even his servants said that he was a holy and a just man. But even this good man, who's honest, God-fearing, uh, sincere, devoted, pious, all of these adjectives and superlatives that we use to describe good people, this good man was afforded another opportunity through the preaching of Peter when Peter is at his house. And when you get to Acts chapter 10, Verse number 47, even though Cornelius and his house had received uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, Acts 10, 47, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Ghost like as we? And the Bible says, Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus through the preaching of the gospel at Cornelius' house. He and his family were given a second chance. What about the Corinthians? When you read about the Corinthians, oh, what a what a wonderful story that you can read about in Scripture. When you read about the Corinthians and how bad and how wicked and how perverse they were, all you got to do is read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and you read about the Corinthians and their prior behavior. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous should not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, the Corinthians. Some used to be fornicators. Some used to be idolaters. Some used to be adulterers. Some used to be involved in homosexual activity. That's what the word uh, um, uh, abuse of themselves of mankind. They were involved in these things. Some were drunkards, some were thieves, some were covetous, some were revilers, some were extortioners. They used to be like that. As a matter of fact, now, there was a phrase in Corinth uh, to Corinthianize. There was a proverbial saying to live like a person in Corinth. And, and so these Corinthians were given a second chance when Paul preached the gospel to them. 
And I know Paul preached the gospel to him because in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number one, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and where ye stand, by which also ye are saved, unless you have believed in vain. Paul says, I preached unto you the gospel. What's the gospel, Paul? For I delivered unto you all that I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And I know that Paul preached the gospel, this message of a second chance in Corinth. Because the Bible says in Acts 18 and verse number 8, And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Ironically enough, it was the same group of people where Paul writes to them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he talks about since they obeyed this gospel, this gospel of Jesus Christ, that they were now new creatures in Christ Jesus, a second chance. They were given this second chance through the gospel. The reason why we preach and teach the gospel the way that we do, because we want men and women to have a new relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible calls this second chance reconciliation. Paul talks about uh, reconciliation through Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 5, verse number 9, Paul says, Much more then, being not justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies with God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more then, we shall be saved by his life. This second chance that we're talking about, the Bible calls it reconciliation. Be reconciled back to God through Jesus Christ. What men need to do today, they need to take advantage of the fact that God sent his son Jesus Christ so that we can have a second chance and so that we can be reconciled back to him. The Bible says in John 3, verse number 16 to 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God wants men and women to have this second chance. Tonight, what about you? If you're not a Christian, you're not a member of the church of Christ, the kingdom of God, you can have this second chance through Jesus Christ through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brother Jonathan Jenkins or Brother Eric Owens can get you in contact with a sound congregation of the Lord's Church that teaches and preaches the pure, simple, plain gospel message, that message of salvation, that message of a second chance, where you can become acquainted and get to know this God who's a God of second chances. Tonight, if you're listening, you need to understand the way that you take advantage of the second chance this message of the second chance, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you got to obey it. The Bible says in Romans 10 and verse number 17, so that faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God, you got to hear about Jesus Christ. He's God's son. He's the savior of mankind. He is the means of this second chance. Then you got to believe that with all of your heart. The Bible says, Hebrews 11 and verse number 6, that without faith, without belief in God, you cannot even please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is that he has rewarded them that didn't just seek him by faith. And then you got to repent. you got to do the same thing the Ninevites had to do. They had to turn 
from their evil ways. They had to repent. Man has to repent. That's Acts 17 and verse number 30. We've already gone over that. God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. And then you got to confess Jesus Christ before witnesses. That's what the unit did. The unit, the Bible says, he says, what could hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, thou mayest, if thou believe. And he said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He confessed that Jesus was the Son of God. You got to make that confession before witnesses. And then you must be buried with Jesus Christ in the water of grave for baptism for the remission of sins. That's what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost for that group of Jews who wanted a second chance. He told them to repent and be baptized. You must be baptized as well. Baptized to Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Acts 22, 16. Paul, as he recounts his conversion, Paul says, And now I tarry to arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's what Ananias told Paul to do, to be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. When you do those things, you will have taken advantage of that second chance message, and you will be in a relationship with the God who is a God of second chances. Thank you.